these goddamn zebras. Just let them fucking play. <laughs>
at the very least, uh, Michigan should be one and two. There's no question in my mind. Army should have beat them last week. Wisconsin kicked the shit out of them this week. What happens to them next week? I know I'm going on a rant here, but you know what? When I was a kid, I watched Michigan obliterate Wisconsin so many times that it got to the point that I'd go hit golf balls or do something on Saturday afternoon instead of watch Wisconsin play Michigan and or Ohio State. But now I'm looking forward. I think it's October 26 or something. It's about the third week, third week in October. Wisconsin visits Columbus, Ohio. And you can call me a homer. You can call me whatever you want. I don't give a damn. But I'll tell you something. Wisconsin's going to give them a game. Ohio State probably will win in Columbus, Ohio. I give them that because Ohio State's got great athletes. And regardless if people want to believe this or not, Ryan Day is a very good football coach at Ohio State. Very good football coach. Um, Urban Meyer was a very good football coach, so I think he's a bit on the crooked side. But I'm going to tell you a thing right now. Guys that are interested in being the head coach at the University of Michigan, tune up your resumes because the time is coming. Michigan is not going to take this inadequacy from their football program moving forward. Well, speaking of resumes, Jim Harbaugh, I heard that Eddie Bauer is hiring, so here we go. Get out there and sell those beige, blue, and black and brown only clothes because that's, uh, I think, maybe a little better suited to you. I like that you mentioned offensive coordinator in the XFL because we know he couldn't be a head coach in the XFL because then he'd have to be the general manager as well. Correct. And that would be and he's too, too much. He's not too smart. Yeah, that'd be that. too much brain power. Speaking of the Ohio State University, I thought you'd like to know that it took them all of three minutes to concede a safety to Miami of Ohio today. And Miami of Ohio leads 2 nothing in the first <laughs> quarter. So the, the <laughs> alma mater of one Ben Roethlisberger, Miami My, yes, of Ohio. I do know that. That's and the we'll, one guy. And I we'll know talk about that obviously later. Whether we get to it in this episode or one of our later episodes this week, it was a tragedy what happened to Ben Roethlisberger. Um, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh is is spinning out of control here, folks. And obviously, we have to talk about that wide receiver that used to call Pittsburgh home. Obviously, we'll talk about that as well. But, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just a, disappointed in Michigan. Not that they got their ass kicked. But, you know, I have heard my whole life, and Chris has heard this too, and Chris, Chris does not have, just because of sure geography and circumstance. Chris was born in a small town in Saskatchewan. So they didn't have a lot of exposure when he was growing up to NC2A football. But the teams that he did know were probably like Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Alabama, the big boys that everybody would hear about. But the Big Ten can't be real happy today about the prospects of one of their, and I always use this term, one of their blue blood football programs going into Wisconsin. And I got to tell you, folks, the score ended up being 35 to 14. Wisconsin was bored. This game very easily should have been probably 42 or 49 to nothing. Wisconsin was that dominant. And I have a comment about, and I, I could go on about this forever, and I'm not going to. It's disrespectful to Chris. It's disrespectful to you folks out there in unscripted land. But I do have to make a comment about the refereeing. And I'm going to go back to the refereeing from Thursday night's game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans. One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time went out on social media during the game and says, I got to walk away from this. This is too much bullshit. There's too much laundry 
on the playing field. There are so many penalties. And we've we've you've heard Chris and I talk about it. You've heard other talking heads talk about it in regard to we've got to speed up the pace of play in all big time athletic events. Well, when you have as an example, 18 penalties just on one team in week one, of, and I'm talking about the Cleveland Browns. What does that do for trying to keep the game time around three hours? 18 penalties? And everything has to go under review. This is getting ridiculous. Here's the problem I'm having, and I just said this to Chris, and then I'll let Chris, and I'll shut the hell up, and I'll let Chris comment. I want to hear his comments. I don't mean, to, again, to be disrespectful to Chris, but I got to tell you, since somebody at the National Communists Against Athletes or the NFL, maybe they're in cahoots, I don't know, but they're trying to figure out how to make the game safer. And I, I, I guess I understand that. But this is still football, folks. This is still mano a mano combat. No, they don't have guns. And no, they don't have, you know, they don't play uh, throwing uh, uh, hand grenades at each other. But this is combat. This is two physical forces going up at the snap of a ball. What do you think is going to happen? I think part of the problem is because there have been so many changes and so many deviations to the rules that the kids and the players at the National Football League level, the kids I'm meaning, meaning at the collegiate level, are confused. They don't know what they can and can't do. There was a kid for Wisconsin today, number 25. I don't know his name, but he's a safety, free safety for the Badgers. The quarterback of Michigan goes and he's trying to, he's running for his life and he's getting out of the pocket and he goes down and he doesn't slide, but he doesn't go head first. It was kind of very awkward. And the Wisconsin kid doesn't know what to do. And a sheer gravity goes down to try to make a play to stop him short of the first down marker. This is still football. And the referee, the zebra throws him one of those uh, targeting. targeting. Thank you. They decide to give this kid a targeting penalty. And so not only does this kid get ejected from this game, he misses the first half of next week's Wisconsin's game against Northwestern for this targeting penalty. We have to come up with some universal rules, and these goddamn zebras have got to show... I, I, you know what? I know why we go with instant replay. I know why we do it. But you know what? Instant replay is not the be-all, end-all, and this is still a human game, mano a mano, as I've said now four times. But maybe we need to take the replay out and just, I don't know, maybe have it in certain calls, I don't know. But every time the, the zebras get confused, they go to the monitor, and then you're looking at a delay. The Wisconsin-Michigan game was an ass-kicking, and it still took over three hours and 20 minutes to complete. I just think we need to take some of the power off of these collegiate and NFL football fields out of the referees and out of the control booth and just let them fucking play. If they don't want to play, do a Chris Borland, what he did a couple of years ago as a former uh, University of Wisconsin middle linebacker, but then also he played one year for the San Francisco 49ers and retired because he was afraid of his health. If these guys are afraid of their health, then they should get out of the game before something happens. Football is still a physical game. It is still, and I don't like to use the terminology war, but that's what it is. It is a battle of battles is what it is. And there are going to be some guys that get hurt and there are going to be some guys that get, you know, destroyed. But that's why we watch it. 
But sitting there and going to a replay after almost every play is getting ridiculous. Well, even if you keep replay, you can actually do it a lot better than they have. First of all, anything that involves Walt Anderson running is the, <laughs> is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Like that little fucking run, like waddle thing he does. Okay, here's how you do re- Let's say you want to like go all in on replay. Fine. Here's how you do it. You don't, you don't have the ref, who's usually 100 years old, Anyway, doing the replay review, you don't have any running to the sideline. You don't have him looking at small, squinting at tablets, as I say, right? What you do, you have what the AAF had for a bit. You have a dedicated Good replay one. official. Yep. You yep. literally have somebody, that's their hold up. They are literally sitting there with ultra HD screens at all times, ready to go in the control room there, whatever. And then as soon as a play is over they already have it ready to go in case they need to review it not that they would review every play but then if it does as soon as they see a coach's flag or as soon as the ref gives the signal like we need to double check this one there's a clock 30 seconds 30 seconds and this dedicated replay expert who that's their entire job that's all they do as they have 30 seconds now the ref doesn't even need to leave the 50 yard line the ref can st- sit their ass stand their ass right there and then you can have just 30 seconds and I even that I'd love that was shorter but I think that would be a fair amount of time but give it 30 seconds you can have the clock count down and yeah that replay official might be under the gun and they'll have to make a fucking quick decision and if they can't make it quick enough then that means the call stands Mm -hmm. away you go right and then nobody's running nobody's doing all this shit you don't have to go to commercial it's 30 seconds done and then the call's right back there and away you go so replay could be done a lot better I, I think that's one thing that's missed here sometimes is that just because the replay is done so poorly now doesn't mean that's the only way you have to do it. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Wisconsin. I was sleeping in today as my first of 16 days vacation from work, <laughs> which is good. So I stayed in bed till 1130 and it was awesome. And uh, I, every time I looked and uh, every time I refreshed the score, uh, Wisconsin was scoring again or getting a turnover. That poor Michigan quarterback didn't look like he had a very good game. Uh, he had a, at least one pick. He had a fumble. He had negative 12 yards rushing. Like it just was not a good day for him. I saw Christian McCaffrey's brother came in for a couple of plays. Oh, yeah. Which the is, quarterback. Uh, yeah. 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 And that was the kid that was at quarterback when the number 25 when Wisconsin got the targeting thing. Oh, okay. That was McCaffrey. Y- you know what? I didn't. I, I love Christian McCaffrey. I, I He's really my favorite player now. I didn't realize. He's one of four brothers. I didn't realize that. So his older brother, Max, is uh, was a wide receiver. I guess he's probably not going to be an NFL player. But uh, then there's Christian, of course. And then the two younger brothers are both quarterbacks, Dylan and Luke. There's a wide receiver, the Max one. Yeah, he's the oldest one. Right. He was on the Packers practice squad last year. Mm. And then he got signed to somebody else's active roster oh, last year. I haven't heard about him. But, yeah, there has been no... No sightings of Max McCaffrey uh, this year so far in the National Football League. But, but. Uh, what I also, I, I have to say, I was listening to some of our episodes from last week, and I, I found something I enjoy about NCAA football, Ooh, finally. Have, get the tape running. Yeah. Well, no, and, and it's simply when we do Unscripted, telling you about upsets in college football that you haven't heard about and having you, you know, get to just go off and be disgusted by these programs that think they're hot shit all the time. You know, I was listening, I was doing the same thing on one of my walks and it was funny. Um, I ended up picking BYU to beat USC last week. Damn it. They didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it wasn't a big, I mean, it was to me, but damn, if it wasn't a big thing, air force is playing well this week after they beat Mm -hmm. Colorado in Boulder last week. So I did enjoy that. I I did enjoy that. And, and, uh, but I, I, you got to remember one thing here, folks, in regard to college football, for me anyway, 
during the 29 years of crap, the NFL wasn't as popular in the state of Wisconsin mm-hmm. when I was growing up because was the ba- uh, the uh, Packers were shit. But the Badgers weren't very good either. Bad- really. Badgers were terrible. But remember, there are 125 Division One A programs, so you could always at least get a college game on. Mm-hmm. You know, so even though most of the time where I grew up, it was either Ohio State or Michigan all the time, and that's why I take such pleasure in Wisconsin just lowering the boom today against Michigan, thirty-five fourteen. But again, um, I just think, you know, and I, I I get it in regard to the safety thing, but you are there's a reason. I remember having to do this in high school, and I you know this is a hundred years ago when I was in high school, you had to sign a waiver to play football, knowing that it's a physical sport and there's chance for injury. And you can sit here and put all the safety ramifications that you want. You can put the quarterback in a dress. If you want, you can put the defensive lineman in cement shoes so he can't move. But you know what? There's still going to be contact and there is still going to be a propensity for young men and professional athletes to get hurt. And, I just think we've got to do something in regard. I mean, it always seems like I'm complaining, and it, I probably am, but I just think there's got to be something that you know, you know, going in when you're playing football, that there, there's a chance you're going to get hurt. That's the t- that's the chance you take. That's the chance you take. And the guys that can't take that chance are the guys that decide, hey, I'm going to get out. I'm going to use my college degree and do something else. I appreciate those guys, but I don't care what field they get into. They're not going to make as much money as they potentially could in the National Football League, and that's the trade-off. You're selling yourself to maximize your earning potential till you're about early 30s, and you're going to make more money up till your early 30s than a guy can being anything but the CEO of a IT company. But you know damn well when you sign that contract or you sign your letter of intent and then ultimately sign your scholarship to play at big-time college football programs, you are taking a risk that you could get injured and you got to live with it. Andrew Luck obviously couldn't do it anymore. And he took his Stanford diploma and he's going to be a success in something else. But he did that knowing he had about $20 million sitting in the bank. Makes it a lot easier to retire at 29. Yeah. And the other point of yours that I wanted to pick you up on there was talking about how the kids don't know what to do in a lot of cases. And I'd go one step further. And it's it's a, it's a point that Don Cherry's kind of made before, is that when you're trained a certain way, or you get in the habit of doing a certain motion or a certain you know, technique or something like that, yeah. it's really hard to break that. I mean, at this point, if these guys, even if they're in college, they might have been playing football for 15 years, right. 10 years, whatever. And so at that point, you're going to have tackled a bunch of times and a certain way in your body, your body's going to have that muscle memory and you're going to be trained a certain way. And that's really tough to break. What Don Cherry has said for hockey is what he would always stop guys from doing is it's a popular thing in warmups. Guys would just for target practice, if they're skating around by themselves, not really many, not really many people on the ice, they'll shoot the puck and try to hit like crossbar post post or something like that. And Don Cherry says, don't you ever do that because then you're, like your wrist shot gets in the habit of shooting it to, mm-hmm. on the poster on the oh, crossbar. Okay. And yeah. he's convinced that some guys, and he mentioned Matt Sundin before, but he's convinced that some guys would hit more crossbars or posts than they should have because they're just so used to doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with these guys tackling in college. It's just, it's a tough habit to break. Well, think about it this way. When I was in high school and I played for my father, you had to, to 
WIAA rules, which at that time was the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, the precursor to the National Communists <laughs> Against Athletes. But offensive linemen had to keep their hands like this, and they had to block like this. Wow. Think about that, okay? And now they have their hands out here, and they can push and shove and jab and do all this other shit. So seconding to your point, you're exactly right, great point by you, is that there are adjustments all the time. If you couldn't use your hands when I was growing up, think about how difficult that would be to block then. And now you can do this and you can move your hands and you can jab and you can do all this other stuff. I mean, again, this goes back to, I think we have to have a standardized set of rules and a set of a rule book that everybody's got to sing from the same songbook or we're all confused and we're going to lead to so much goddamn penalties on these on, in these games that we're going to lose interest. I, I, I'm telling you, we're going to lose interest. I mm-hmm. really believe mm-hmm. that. Um, got my heart pumped up. A <clears throat> couple other big games I don't really care about. Wisconsin won. It's all I care about. A couple other big games, though. U.S. college football this weekend uh, just getting started in, um, I believe this was in College Station, Texas. Number eight, Auburn takes on the 17th ranked Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, Texas A&M, just as a little FYI for all you folks out there, remember how they have the Forbes 500 list and they have the most valuable professional sports franchises and most every year it's either Manchester United or the Dallas Cowboys. This year it happens to be the Dallas Cowboys. You know who, just off the top of your head, and I've already given you a hint, Forbes just came out with their most successful or most profitable college football programs. Who do you think's number one? And it's not Wisconsin. It's not Michigan. Michigan's like number three. Well, I mean, I would have said Alabama, but nope. But uh, based on what you're saying there, you brought it up when I said Texas A&M. Bingo. So, <laughs> wow. Texas A&M and Texas, the two big schools in the state of Texas, are tied for number one as the two most profitable. They bring in the most income, the two most profitable college football programs, according to the Forbes magazine. Well, and that's why you can pay Jimbo Fisher $77 million over the next 11 years. And also known for, you know, road scholars at quarterback, such as Vince Young, Johnny Manziel, and whoever else. Yeah. <laughs> Glad it's. It's in. This is what you call inversely proportional quarterback IQ to value of program. Uh, I'm on a roll today. The big game tonight will be number seven, Notre Dame, visiting between what they call down in Georgia. I'm giving Chris all this college knowledge here. They call it playing between the edge or the hedges down there in uh, in uh, Athens, Georgia, at the University of Georgia. Number seven, Notre Dame goes against number three, Georgia. And I don't think the Golden Domers have a snowball's chance in Phoenix. That's all I got to say oh, there. Really? Oh, really? You, oh, think... you don't hear that very often. Well, here's the thing. Georgia beat them last year in Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and Georgia's better this year. And Georgia's favored by 14 and a half. Just to quickly catch up, I was disappointed that really none of the games so far today have been upsets, which is too bad. Your your USC team did beat number 10 Utah last night. Yeah, with the third-string quarterback. Oh. The second-string quarterback got knocked out in the first quarter last night, and some kid comes off the bench and just leads them to the beating Utah, which was the 10th-ranked team in the country. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, but today is starting off from a promising. Miami of Ohio did jump out to a 5 nothing lead, but Ohio State yeah, well. has scored. To make it 7-5. The real Ohio State hadn't shown up yet. Uh, Pittsburgh at home is currently beating uh, my UCF uh, 7-0 and is in field goal range and fourth down. That would be an upset. That would Let be me a tell big you. upset. 
Uh, SMU on the road is currently beating TCU? number twenty-five TCU fifteen to nothing. So that's a well, good you know start SMU's in Dallas, TCU's in Fort Worth. That's about forty-five miles apart, mm-hmm. and uh, that is a, what they call a border rivalry down. Oh there. yeah, the, oh the SMU fans have got see. That's how crazy stupid now. they are in Texas, though. What border is there between <laughs> Fort Worth and Dallas? It's one city. Um, yeah. I do have one, uh, one. What is it when you make a pronat? What is it a um, proclamation? That's okay. We'll go with that proclamation. I believe I don't really give a damn what happens to USC this year. Mm-hmm. USC just lost uh, Lynn Swan, the former Steeler All Pro. He's a uh, All American back in the seventies. At USC, he just resigned as the athletic director at USC. Uh, Clay Helton is the current coach, but he is the ultimate lame duck of lame duck coaches. USC is not supposed to struggle like this, even though they won last night. I get that, yada, yada. But I believe in my heart of hearts. Listen to this, folks. If you don't listen to anything else today, listen to this. I believe USC makes a change next year. And guess who I believe is going to be the next coach at USC next year? Andrew Luck. Nope. No. He'd no, go to Stanford, Stanford first. He'd go to Stanford. Yeah, he'd go to Stanford uh, first. Oof, I don't know. I believe, all right, I'm going to give you a little hint. Started at Bowling Green, made them winners. Went to Utah, made them winners in Salt Lake City. Went to Florida, won two national championships with our favorite chimp, Tim Tebow. Went to Ohio State. Oh, yeah. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is going to be the coach next year. He has got the ego the size of the state of Texas. And if there is one guy that can go in and resurrect the USC program, which is, again, supposed to be up there in the stratosphere of Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, and yada, Alabama, you know them all. I believe that because he's coached in all the big ones. He's coached in the Pac-10 with Utah. But at that time, they weren't in the Pac-10. He's coached at you, but he's coached at the SEC. He's coached in the Big Ten. Now what he's got to do, I believe, next year is resurrect the USC program, and I believe that he wants his ego says that if there's a guy that can do it, I can make the Big Ten or the Big or the Pac-12 a conference power again, and I can put USC back on the map. I believe Urban Meyer goes back next year and coaches at USC. Wow, I, I thought you were at first. It sounded like you were describing Michigan. You're talking about make a change next year, not supposed to struggle like this. All this. It I don't, sounded, it was I don't a think. I don't think Urban Meyer would go to Michigan just because he's already. He's he was perfect in the Big Ten's biggest rivalry, Ohio State Michigan. He was a perfect seven and zero. Wow, you can't do better than that. So I don't think that. I think he goes back and resurrects the USC program and makes them prominent again. His ego is so large that he will do it. Though, you know he's not my favorite ethics teacher, but I can tell you this, he did pick Wisconsin today, so I got to give him credit. A <laughs> um, couple of news and notes on the National Football League from week number two. Chris and I will make our full slate of picks for week number three in a later episode of Unscripted. Um, an interesting week three. Kind of an easy week to pick, though. What do you think? No, no, I'm going with uh, I'm going against the public on a number of things. I, I, know, I emailed you. I some know, and I, I appreciate that, and I'm going to make some money off of those today. I hope so, but uh, I, I actually, but even beyond, I think some of what I said there, I've, uh, I think I might not just for the spread. I might actually pick some upsets outright as well. Oh, Interesting thing this week, other than the Sunday nighter and Monday nighter, every single game is a home favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Week number two, though. Um, had some 
interesting things. And, and yes, I guess we do have to quickly talk, but this is all I'm going to say. Antonio, Antonio Brown was released on Friday. Coincidence or not, as part of the signing, when they signed Brown 12 days ago, <laughs> that sounds so bad. When they signed Brown 12 days ago, the Patriots were going to pay him a $9 million signing bonus, but they were going to do it in two installments. The first installment, the first $5 million was due on Monday. Um, gee, I wonder why they got rid of his ass on Friday, because it was due coming up. From right now, as Chris and I are speaking here on Saturday, in 48 hours, the Patriots owed him $5 million bucks, and the other $4 million was due on January 15th. I hear in my notes it says, not no mo. Um, all I'm going to say in this is I do not think until all of his legal problems are taken care of, I don't think that Antonio Brown, because I've said this before, and I always make sure that I stay true to my word, even when I come out looking like a schmuck, I believe that Antonio Brown should not get another shot in the NFL until he gets his, all his legal problems taken care of. Yeah, I, it's really hard to know what's going to happen here. It's a really tough one. I did see today, it was reported that even despite all this and cutting him early and everything, that uh, the Patriots are still going to have to pay $4.5 million in dead cap space this year and next year. Is that part of his termination pay? I don't, I'm not saying he gets the money. Oh, oh, I see. I'm saying that it's going to count against the cap. Oh. So they got just they just got an extra $4.5 million in terms of cap space purely and just dead money that they're not allowed to spend this year and next year, all so that he could help them beat the worst team in NFL history, 43 nothing, which they didn't <laughs> need him for at all. So, yeah, that was... Actually, in fairness, though, and I know it looks convenient, I don't think that the uh, you know Robert Kraft was worried about the money very much. What happened was, uh, the report is that, you know, the whole thing with, okay, he's getting... Uh, you know, accusations and all that until anything's proven. It's just that. It's just accusations. And all. Yeah, it's hearsay. What made him mad, though, then all of a sudden it came out that, number one, he sent those uh, intimidating text messages to one yeah, of the accusers yeah. while posting pictures of her kids and, like, telling his buddies to look into them. And number two, he did that while, like, in the last 12 days while he was with the Patriots. And those two things together, I guess... Robert Kraft hit the ceiling and had a meeting with Belichick and was just losing his mind about how upset he was at this. And at that point, the guy's gone. It's like, and it's one thing to, you know, hearsay years ago, other places, but in the last two weeks, intimidating people who are accusing you while you're with the Patriot, like it was just in so many levels, just the wrong thing to do. And uh, they just, he just wasn't worth the headache anymore. And I said, I think very clearly on this show and to anyone who would listen, I said, this is not going to be like Randy Moss or something. This comes in and everything's magically okay and all sorts of success. There is something wrong with Antonio Brown and he is not just going to go places and be able to be a normal person. He is when, and this proves it too. When you see that, oh, he's all smiley, like, oh, I'm working through things. And then you see as soon as he's in private, he's intimidating people who are like, it's just crazy. Like it's just uh, the, the ego is completely out of control and I don't know if anything can humble him, but if anything can, I think we're going to find out. Well, it was funny. I was watching Belichick's Friday morning press conference Mm -hmm. and you know, he was in full uh, Mm -hmm. Belichick mold. He was like, um, who are they playing this week? Oh, the jets. Yeah. I want to talk jets. 
What do you want to talk about? Any, anything about football. I want to talk about football. And, and, and I get it. A reporter's job is to find information. And the reporters kept asking about AB. Mm-hmm. What about AB? What about AB? And, and Belichick says, I'm on to the Jets, basically, giving him that old chorus line that I'm on to the Jets. I want to talk We're football. To yeah. We're on to Cincinnati, right. And all of a sudden, it was funny because I had this feeling. All of a sudden, Belichick says, any more questions about football? Everything gets quiet. He says, okay, had a nice day. See you later. Bye. He leaves the press conference. And it was about 10 or 15 minutes later, Chris sends me a text saying, <laughs> the Patriots just released Antonio Brown. And I, and I said there, I said, I think, you know, you could tell something was going on. That must have just, he must have had his meeting with Kraft. Then he had to do his press obligations. And I think that BB knew right there that they had done what, Chris told me about about 15 minutes after that press conference that they had released Antonio Brown. So yeah, but I, I want to defend Belichick there because everyone's like, you know, he's an asshole, let's be honest. And sometimes he's way too short and people ask maybe a reasonable question and he'll be asked to them. And it's, it's, you know, I, I get kind of tired of them there, but in this case, I would have walked out sooner than he did. Mm-hmm. He actually, like he said, okay, like blah, 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 gave his little spiel on Brown. And then it's like, okay, now let's talk football. And he's like, I'm not going to be, he straight up told me, I'm not going to be answering any other questions about this. Let's talk football. And then pretty much every question where they're trying to kind of work Antonio Brown in there. And he, and a couple of them, he kind of, you know, answered slightly. And then uh, at the end, yeah, someone asked another Antonio Brown thing. And then right in the middle of the question, he cuts him off. He's like, okay, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, done. I'm I, done. I'm good. And he walks up and it just makes, it, it was, it was, I have no Nothing bad to say about Bill Belichick there because he told you guys, like, I know reporters are supposed to get information, but there's lots of other information you could potentially get there. You could even ask about, you know, Tom Brady's tweets if you had to, like, ask about something, ask about the game, ask about preparing for a third string quarterback there's not much tape on, do something interesting. The press nowadays is basically interchangeable with paparazzi and paparazzi makes my blood boil. It like absolutely does. I like to think that if I was a football coach, I would be fairly media friendly. I'm a very open, honest, forthright person. I think that would be pretty good. But as soon as you do that to me, I would do exactly the same thing. And I would have walked out sooner than he did because I, I just told you, don't mention Antonio Brown. So about Antonio Brown, I'm out. Fuck you. What the hell is wrong with you? Trash. And then Ron Rivera had to do the same thing now right. with Cam Newton yeah. because like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm done talking about this. What about Kenny? Like, what is? Are these report? Are they just gutter trash? I guess they're yeah. just they're just trash. Like, imagine being somebody who could be paparazzi or work for TMZ, and and you're just this you know creature that follows people around and just harasses. Like, can you? I'm not wired like that. I don't know how. Like, you have to have just been not loved as a kid. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you. How are you? How are you not self aware of what a piece of shit you are, and how do you live with yourself? I don't know how anyone could be paparazzi, and at this point. Based on the performance I saw at the New England press conference, I didn't see a single reporter there that was any better than the lowest form of paparazzi out there. Great point. Um, Before we get out of here on this, uh, oh, I just lost the number here, 392nd episode. Jesus, we're coming up on 400. Um, The uh, National Football League just was going through a survey, and... um, the immaculate reception, that that unbelievable pass uh, that Terry Bradshaw in the 72 playoffs threw that hit the helmet of Frenchie Fuqua and ends up in the hands of Franco Harris, and then he goes down the right sidelines to 
bring the Steelers back to an improbable victory, lead the Steelers to an improbable victory over the Oakland Raiders in the 72 playoffs. That was just voted the number one play in NFL history. I just thought maybe you'd want to know that. I don't, I think uh, right off the top of my head, I'm thinking of other plays that are, you know, a kind of iconoclastic plays that you always remember. I remember, I mean, if you're really, like if you're my father's age, you probably remember Alan the Horse Amici going in in the 1958 NFL championship game, the first televised championship game or first televised game on CBS, the first televised NFL game ever. Um, in the 58 championship game, Alan Amici in overtime goes over the goal line to beat the New York Giants. A lot of old guys would remember that. I'm old. Um, I think a lot of people would remember Dwight Clark in the end zone in 82 for the 49ers take that pass, that improbable pass from Joe Montana, the catch, correct, to beat the Cowboys in the NFC championship game. A lot of people would remember that one for damn sure. A lot of people like me would remember Bart Starr sneaking over the goal line from one yard out in the 67 Ice Bowl for the Packers to beat the Cowboys in minus 16 degree temperature and minus whatever it was with the wind chill that day. Those are all famous plays, but I think they got this one right. You don't even have to be a football fan to know how miraculous that this play was. And, you know, even, you know, a brain-dead moron like me can remember Terry Bradshaw bounces off the head of Frenchie Fuqua. George Atkinson, who's playing safety for the Raiders, almost took Frenchie Fuqua's head off, but the ball bounces off his helmet, ends in the hands of of uh, uh, Franco Harris. He goes down the excuse me the left sideline in, into Pittsburgh's end zone. They win the game. But you know what the amazing thing about and what we what I've been babbling on most of this episode about. They didn't have instant replay in 1972, and they still got it right. Yeah, I hate that pick as the number one play because it wasn't an intentional play. They didn't draw it up. Okay, I'm going to throw it off the guy's helmet and it's going to bounce to you. Like, I don't like an accidental play being number one. I just don't like that, especially Terry Bradshaw, who I, <laughs> I'm i not an expert on the 72 Steelers uh, but uh, or the 70 Steelers, but Terry Bradshaw is a silly hillbilly and he won a bunch of titles, and he had the Steel Curtain defense, and I think he had a lot of other good players like Franco Harris, and I strongly suggest that uh, he may not be as amazing as people think he might have been. He may be a tad overrated, and maybe he was in a very fortunate situation. And, and not even joking, it reminds me of Eli Manning, who won two Super Bowls behind great defenses. I'm thankful that he beat the Patriots both times, so I don't want to be too hard on him, and the, the great play to actually show mobility the one time in his career to get the ball to David Tyree on the helmet and then beat the otherwise 19-0 Patriots they would have been. So I don't want to be too hard on Eli, but uh, look, I just, I don't like that. Pick a play. There there are a lot of plays where they were just drawn up brilliantly and executed per two perfection. And why not pick one of those? Why pick some goofy pinball luck fest with grainy video? I mean, it's just, I, I think that's a terrible Terrible choice. It was clearly made by people who watched that live and like to remember the good old days. I can't disagree with you there. We got a run on this 392nd episode of Unscripted. We thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. We've got more NFL things to talk about. We've got some NBA news. We've got, uh, 
I've got 10 questions for Chris. Chris, easy for me to say, huh? i got 10 questions for Chris about the upcoming National Hockey League season. So we've got a, st- a bunch of stuff to talk about. And I also want to take a shot at my favorite head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Ooh. Got to run. Uh, thanks for everybody for participating. Again, hope that you continue to do so. For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.